Hello and welcome to Passive Attack, the Asset First podcast. I'm Philip Bailey and I'm here today with Steve Williams. Steve, how's things with you at the moment? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Thanks, Phil. Yep. Yeah, are the markets keeping you up at night? It's, uh, people are telling me they're very stressful at the moment. Oh, I'm too old for all of that now. Actually, I was just updating my numbers this morning. So I sort of keep tab on the drawdowns in the equity markets. So from the indices that I watch most often, I notice the FTSE 100 is not in drawdown uh, at this moment in time. The FTSE 250, so that's the mid-cap uh, market in the UK, is down about 8.5%. Uh, small caps in the UK are down about 4 uh, just over 4%. Nobody likes to see asset prices go down, but some perspective might be required, I think, if um, uh, if anybody's feeling particularly nervous at this moment. So for about the 20th week running, the most popular question I'm being asked by clients is this inflation, which we said was transitory, and now people are saying it's not. What do you think the outlook is for inflation? How high is it going to go? How long is it going to stay high? And where is it going to come back down to? I wish I knew the answer to those questions. So let's have a look at what the Bank of England thinks. Let's start there, because we just had the monetary policy report from the Bank of England. So that came in towards the end of last week. So the Bank of England's expectations are that CPI uh, in the UK uh, heads towards seven and a quarter, something like that, by about April this year, and then comes back down towards uh, the target over the next 18 months, two years, something like that. So what we're seeing is a, a is a near term peak followed by a decline back towards target. That's the expectation. So that April number it'll be published in May, and and let's say that the Bank of England's out by a month or something like that. So the peak the peak comes in May, and then so so we're not going to see that data until the middle of this year. But it's from my perspective, looking at you know how the markets are pricing things, looking at some of the mechanics behind the calculations in the CPI. I, I tend to agree with that, that there's a sort of, there's a near-term hump. The peak is is yet to strike, but it is a peak. It's a fairly near-term peak and things do return to um, to target uh, in, in a reasonable period of time. Now, whether you consider that to be transitory or not really depends on your your, your sort of mindset and your time frame. I would say they, they, that fits reasonably well with my expectations. You said just then, looking at how the markets are pricing these things, and presumably you're talking about the bond markets here. The equity markets, however, where we're seeing lots of volatility as well, suddenly has no forward guidance to go on. Mm. Is that one of the reasons we're seeing a bit more volatility now, because the equity markets don't have a clue where things are going? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, there's so if you compare how those two parts of the capital markets view interest rates, it's complicated. And I might say something that's going to upset sort of equity entrenched people, equity analysts, things like that. But the bond market's reasonably calm about all of this, I think. It's used to dealing with this level of uncertainty. And the timeframes over which most participants in the bond market are operating are, are drawn out, especially compared to equity markets. So if you make a habit of listening to equity fund managers or equity analysts, their timeframes are, are, are very compressed. They're two years, three years, you know, even five years is a sort of, is an age for these, um, for, for people that work in that part of the market. Uh, and most of the, uh, most of the interest rate rises that we're seeing being priced in are, are sort of bulked up in that sort of, you know, it's the two year, it's the three year, it's the four year rates that have been moving most 
vigorously. So, you know, and, and, and if those rates of interest are important to you because of the way you're pricing equities, you know, discounted cash flow models, things like that, then I can understand the uh, the interest in in that part of the yield curve, but that, but that's so that's one source of, of volatility. Uh, you know, it's, it's genuine. There's been a genuine increase in volatility in that part of the market. Now, what the source of that is uh, a slightly more philosophical question. Uh, on the question of forward guidance, post two thousand and eight, we had the advent of unconventional monetary policy tools. Prior to two thousand and eight. Interest rates went up or interest rates went down. So that was the, the short-term rates of things like bank rate or, you know, whatever everyone calls base rate or the Fed funds rate in the, in the US, for example. These are sort of very short-term interest rates. And, and it, it's those tools that the central banks use to affect the outlook. But as that interest rate approached zero towards 2008, they had to come up with these additional measures to affect interest rates, different points in the yield curve and all those kind of things, just to affect the market for interest rates somehow. Uh, so that was quantitative easing, or what everybody knows as quantitative easing. But there was a the third unconventional policy tool was was what we call forward guidance. So it was the central bank saying, uh, we're going to hold interest rates where they are, and we're going to hold our asset purchase scheme where it is, and we're going to hold that for the foreseeable future. Uh, and what that does is remove any question about whether interest rates are going to move at the next monetary policy committee meeting. You could argue that, you know, the foreseeable future extends beyond that even. But, you know, at the very least, you have to argue that the foreseeable future is at the next Monetary Policy Committee, given that these things are scheduled years in advance. So the removal of that adds an element of uncertainty, and the uncertainty has to be priced uh, into the markets, and it's priced into the markets as a sort of additional risk premium, which, you know, so so I think the advent of, of forward guidance is, is I, I don't think enough time has been allocated to trying to understand what its impact on the markets has been and i think we're seeing the uh, we're seeing the reversal of that there's a there's a you know there's a great deal of uncertainty about the extent to which the unwinding of the qe programs too is going to affect asset prices so there's you know it's not just that source of uncertainty there's there's quite a few new uncertainties uh, at this moment in time and and they, that, that's got to be priced into the market looking back onto the particularly onto the bond markets where we've got more of the long in the tooth people who are looking much longer periods what do they t- currently tell us about where bond yields are going to be in 5 years from now and 10 years from now are we seeing a marked change from what we've got today uh marked change in that i don't think it's reasonable to expect interest rates stay close to zero so that's the that's the first change the next question, and this is a really big question that's still unanswered in in, in the bond market. By the way, I, I can tell you where the bond markets are priced today, but I, I think there's still, you know, we haven't reached a um, a reasonably firm conclusion about what we call the terminal rate of interest. So, you know, bank rate in the UK now is is 0.5 percent. In this interest rate tightening cycle, where do we get to? Do we get to two percent? Do we get to three percent? Do we get to four percent? That question is is unanswered as it stands. Now, the markets are reasonably well priced for interest rates, which get to about 2%, right, plus or minus 50 basis points. So, you know, it, 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 do we get to 1.5% and get stuck there? Do we edge towards 2.5% after that? But what is not reasonably priced into the market at this moment in time is uh, are interest rates that extend beyond, you know, towards the 3% mark. Now, it might be that that's where we get to and that the markets have to adjust accordingly. But as it stands, 
there's a there's a sort of humped profile in market expectations, and um, those expectations are that we get to one percent reasonably quickly. Maybe we get to one and a half. Maybe we even get to two percent reasonably quickly. But thereafter, uh, there are very few additional price rises um, uh, factored into the market at this stage. So it's a sort of near term increase from the emergency zero rates up to what you might still consider, or what I would consider, low interest rates. I don't, you know, what is a moderate rate of interest? Is it three percent? Maybe, maybe, maybe by the time you get to three percent, that's a moderate rate of interest. But we're still, you know, I, I summarise it. We're in an ultra low interest rate environment, and we're headed to a plain old low interest rate environment. So, with inflation running at something north of five percent, projected to go to something north of seven percent. We've only seen one very small interest rate rise recently, maybe a few more to come, but, but they, they're not commensurate with the, with the inflation that we're seeing. What are the Bank of England thinking? What are they doing? And, and why aren't they doing more on the interest rate side? So this is really interesting, actually. What the Bank of England is doing is not targeting the current rate of inflation. I, I don't think there are, is a single member of the Monetary Policy Committee who thinks that raising interest rates quickly or slowly, will have any impact on the current rate of inflation. So uh, amongst central bankers, there's a there's an expectation that um, there's a lag in anything they do. So, you know, if they raise interest rates, how long does it take that interest rate rise to transmit through the economy, you know, through the capital markets? That happens pretty quickly. So bond yields change immediately, even as they're speaking. But how long does it take to transmit through into the real economy and have an impact on, on people beha- people's behaviour? And most of them would say it's at least 12 months. Some, some might say it's two years, but let's call it 18 months or so. So any raise in inter- rise in interest rates at this moment in time is, can't really be expected to have any impact on the inflation that we're seeing now. A lot of the inflation that we're seeing now is a result of uh, changing behaviour because of the pandemic, which you might expect to subside, and also high energy price. I mean, the volatility in the gas market at this moment in time is just amazing. And, you know, energy price rises are a big part of of what's occurring in the in the CPI calculation too. So so there's not a lot that the central bank can do about those uh, impacts. What the central bank is trying to do is target people's behaviour a little bit further down the line. What the Bank of England are concerned about is that the current high rates of inflation will stir in people behavioural changes that will mean that inflation stays above target for longer than the current causes of that high rate of interest does that make a high rate of inflation if that makes sense so that monetary policy report that i mentioned earlier it sort of contains two sets of forecasts one is a forecast for where they think inflation will be if they do nothing so if they just hold interest rates at um, at the current rate and the other one is what will happen to inflation if the bank of england sort of follows what the market thinks they're going to do in terms of that interest rate rise what the Bank of England concluded is that if they did nothing, inflation would stay above target throughout the what they call the forecast period, so the next few years, basically. The conclusion there is they must do something. And the input that they attach to the second forecast is what the market expects. And at the time that those, calcul- those forecasts were made, the market expectation was that interest rates get to about 1.25%. This is entirely consistent with my expectations for low interest rates, right? 1.25 is is well below my 2% limit for sort of low interest rates. But the point there is that that 
that forecast saw inflation come down to target quite quickly. And in fact, it saw inflation come below target during the forecast period. So what the central banks are doing is is, is highlighting that sort of the post-inflation, the, the post-peak inflation problem, if you see what I mean. So they're trying to stop the ingrained behaviour. They're, they're signalling to people that the central bank is uh, is conscious of high inflation and is acting to bring inflation back down to target. So uh, that, that's basic. But the really interesting aspect is that the 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 sort of rate of interest that they got to in that second forecast, which brings inflation back down to target, is only 1.2%, 1.25%, somewhere around there. The inference there is that if you expect the central bank to get beyond 1.25%, you are expecting a much hawkish, much more hawkish position than the central bank is expecting itself, if you see what I mean. And you hear a lot of people talking about this being priced into the market and that being priced into the market. And that's it's sort of, it, it, I mean, that's shorthand, really. Nothing is priced into the market to any to a single extent. There is a sort of range of probabilities. Um, and there is a very broad range of possibilities in terms of interest rates at this moment that are being priced into the market. There's sort of average, but there's a, there's a sort of a broad base of expectations at this moment. There's a very broad uh, range of of possible outcomes that are currently priced into the market. So um, so to suggest that, you know, that 2% is priced into the market is a sort of, is to ignore the fact that so too is 1.75 or so too is 2.25, if you see what I mean. Even, you know, so I would say at this moment in time, reasonably speaking, if you take the US market, for example, anywhere between 1.75 and 2.25, you could easily say is priced into the market by the end of the year. And similarly for the, the the Bank of England, we we may be in in England we get to in the UK I should say so that, uh, that we get to one point two five maybe one point five something like that by the end of the year. That's reasonably well priced into the market. But so too is you know so the one point two five to the one point seven five is reasonably well priced into. To try and put this in a simpler way for me to understand, if you were taking out a mortgage today, would you go for the variable? low variable or the higher fixed rate um, and if you're going fixed would you be fixing for two years five years or ten years i would probably fix for a short period of time just as as short a period of time as possible sure, so, so possibly not so, fix at all or, or fix short i i don't know i might it depends um it depends on the rate mm. but um i i would probably fix for for the for the shorter period so in in your in your menu i'll take the two-year fix so that's protect providing it was competitive uh yeah the rate's competitive but the commission rate i'll be charging for arranging the mortgage is exorbitant (laughs) so what you're saying is that you're protecting against the the shorter sharper transitory for want of a better word transitory inflation that we're, we're seeing and we're going to see more of in the coming months on the other side of the surprise, on the upside of, of interest rates and yields, what effects is that going to have generally on the equity markets? So the equity markets have got to price in higher interest rates. And that's what they're... I, I think it's difficult to say, what the, again, what is, what is priced in and what isn't. But there is, a, there is a fair degree of uncertainty about this terminal rate of interest. And I, I know I'm sort of... I'm, I'm pointing towards a sort of, you know, 2%. It's difficult for me to see it being 3%. It's difficult for me to see it being 4%. It, it might be. 
right? And, and the equity markets have got a price. There's a world of difference for uh, for equity market valuations between a, a, a 2% long-term rate and a 4% long-term rate. And if it's, if it's going to be the 4%, then uh, depending on how you want to value your equities, then, you know, there's a, there's a fair way to go to price in that uh, additional rate of interest. Another question I've had more frequently in, in the last few weeks is new investors. I don't know why new investors are different to existing investors because everybody's got cash in or out of the markets. But new investors saying, well, should I be investing my money today or should we hang fire because they might not hang fire in Ukraine and a, a war could start when Russia invades? What would you say to those people as long-term investors? As long-term investors, the short-term ought not to be too bigger factor in, in, in what you're doing. I think, I think you have to be realistic about what you can expect from the equity markets. It's true to say that if you're going to buy equities when, when valuations are high, you have to expect a slightly lower long-term return than you do when you're buying valuations uh, uh, which are low. That, I mean, that's, that's fair. And it's also fair to say that equity market valuations are reasonably high. I don't know how long you and I have been involved in the markets. It's a long time. And I can't remember a single point in time where I had a fairly clear view of what was going to happen in the next 12 to 18 months. Uncertainty is a constant feature of where we are. I know people say that markets don't like uncertainty. No, without uncertainty, markets wouldn't exist. We wouldn't need markets. You know, Markets are a mechanism to price uh, things in the presence of uncertainty. I, I think if you're a long-term investor, you invest your money. Uh, you're real, you, you ought to be realistic about what you might expect from it. You know, I was talking about those drawdowns earlier on, wasn't I? You know, the US market is down 8% or so. If you're going to invest your money and then you're going to be concerned about a subsequent 8% or 9% or even a 15 or even a 20% decline in, 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 in risky asset prices, then I think maybe just reevaluate re what your expectations are. But yeah, long-term investors, it's fairly clear that, you know, if you look around at what else you might invest in, at this point in time. I think it only points in one direction, really. You just commented on how long we've been working in the investment industry, and it just brought to mind my first experience, the impact of war had on investment portfolios, which was back in the original Gulf War in 1991. I remember for some time before then, as tensions rose, uncertainty hit the stock markets, and they fell back significantly over perhaps a six-month period prior to the war. However, once hostilities began, markets started to rise strongly. Now, this did seem, I think, a little counterintuitive to young me at the time. But from the market's point of view, the start of the war removed a lot of uncertainty from the table. It encouraged investors back into the market. So clearly, at the moment, we don't yet know how the Ukrainian-Russian situation will play out. But I think for medium to long-term investors, if you have a well-diversified portfolio and can accept shorter-term risk, the right advice would be to sit tight at this time and focus on the bigger, longer-term picture. Okay, so that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Steve. And we'll do this all again next time.